Fire. Isn't that great, having the car? It's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, the Lord is risen. Yes, he is. And that's why the song that uh, we were just uh, listening to, Only Jesus, uh, to lift him up and to be able to gather in freedom and sing his praises uh, is a great privilege and a great blessing for us to be able to do that this morning. I hope you're able to uh, find adequate parking. There's always the war that goes on between the Protestants and the Catholics, and the (laughs) Catholics are always winning uh, the war. Uh, What I recommend to the first service you do is Call the Catholic Church or go online. Find out their service times. And if you show up at the right time, you can park in their parking lot. It's just you got to work it just right. So, Well, we want to pray and ask God to speak to us as we reflect together on this Easter morning. So pray with me. Father, uh, as we've already just noted, uh, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to gather together with others to sing the praises of our King Jesus to remember what you did, Father, in sending your Son and, and even having him die but not stay dead, having him come back from the dead. We do believe that he is risen indeed. We pray, Father, that as we reflect together this morning, uh, that you would be speaking to us, blessing us, encouraging us, creating gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. And may this entire day, not just this time, but this entire day be a day of celebrating the truth that sin and death are overcome. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, if you're new, in fact, I'm just guessing that for some of you this morning, you've never been here before. I'm especially glad you're here this morning uh, because a book came out recently written by a terrific thinker. I love this guy's writing. His name is N.T. Wright. And the book is called Simply Good News. And in the book, he argues that we need to take a fresh look again at what the good news that Jesus himself, uh, uh, what, what the good news was that Jesus himself announced to the world, and then also gave his followers to announce to the world. So I'm glad you're here for this because it turns out, according to his research, that most people are quite unclear about this thing that Christians call good news. A lot of people think that Jesus came not so much to announce good news as to give good advice. You know, advice like be kinder, be nicer, be loving, things of that nature. But of course, nobody gets crucified for saying those kinds of things. And of course, Jesus did. Uh, N.T. Wright even points out that a lot of people who have attended church for many, many years are not very clear about Jesus' central message, what we call, again, the good news of the gospel. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to give you a summary of Jesus' core message And hopefully I can make it so succinct you'd be able to tweet it out if you wanted to. And uh, so you've picked a good day to come. Even if you never go back to church after this, uh, you're going to be way ahead of some people who go to church a lot. In fact, uh, you may find yourself at a cocktail party sometime. And uh, somebody will just say, because this happens all the time at cocktail parties, what was Jesus' main message? And you'll be able to say, oh, I know, I know the answer to that. You know, I heard a message on that. So anyway... This is from the Gospel of Mark, who summarizes the the kernel truth, the core truth of the Gospel so clearly. This is what he writes. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And then he tells us what it is. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe the good news. So Mark points out twice in just this short little section that Jesus' core message is good news, not good advice. There's a difference. Advice is trying to get people to do something. News is an announcement that something significant, in this case truly significant, truly supernatural, has happened. Jesus' core message is not to teach people how to live. It's not to give good advice. His core message is to proclaim good news about something in particular. You see this over and over in Jesus' life and and in Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 8, we read this. It said, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. Well, what did he do? Well, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That was his message. One time, people tried to get him to kind of settle down in their town and stay with them. They were so uh, powerfully impacted by his healing ministry, powerfully impacted by the way he uh, interacted with them, powerfully uh, impacted by his teaching. They wanted him to stay there, uh, but Jesus said he couldn't. This is what he said. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Well, who sent him? The heavenly father, right? He's claiming to have had a special sending from the heavenly father. And then Jesus gave the same message to his disciples for them to preach. He didn't change uh, messages when he sent the disciples out. This is what he said. He said, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven, that's the same thing as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is near. At the very end of his time here on earth after the Easter resurrection... Uh, This is when Jesus was hanging around uh, many days after being resurrected because he still had to actually convince uh, his followers, the apostles and and his other followers that he had indeed risen from the dead, that he wasn't some kind of ghost. You understand, they were just as sharp as you are or I am about knowing that dead people don't come back from the dead. A lot of times people will say that in this era, uh, you know, the disciples were superstitious and so on. And so they would believe a lie like this. No, 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 no. They were just as clear as you and I are that dead people stay dead, okay? And so when they started seeing Jesus appear and and even eat with them and things of this nature, there was a slow process of convincing these followers that Jesus was, in fact, alive. And so when we read in Acts 1, it says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, so for a long time, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So the good news, or this thing we call the gospel, is that the kingdom of God has now become available to ordinary people, not just priests, not just Pharisees, uh, but to ordinary people like you, like me. The, um, well, let me see. Do I want to say this? So, uh, no, I'm not going to say it. Anyway, so we, we can, can you imagine the message? The, the thing that was so shocking to so many of the people in Jesus' day and in Jesus' age was simply the fact that uh, you know, the common belief of, a, of the average person in the street, so to speak, was that, well, obviously, religious people like Pharisees will go to heaven. Obviously, religious people like scribes and teachers of the law will go to heaven. Obviously, people uh, who are you know, leaders in our synagogues, they, they, will, they will go to heaven. They have a relationship with God. But along comes Jesus and says, no, you can go to heaven. 
No, you can have life with God. No, you can live in the kingdom of Jesus right now. And uh, this, was a, this was an incredible message that we can live in this thing called the kingdom of God. And here's why uh, that was so powerful. A lot of people, uh, even in churches, have kind of taken today and replaced this core message of Jesus that, that he called the gospel, and we've kind of made it into something else. Uh, this was N.T. Wright's point. N.T. Wright says that what churches and what religious people have made the gospel or the good news into is sort of a minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die kind of message. That's a mouthful. The minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die kind of message. And that's, of course, not what we would call it. That's not what people would call it. But that's the basic idea, that heaven is this great place to go. And you, you want to go there. It's like a big party in the sky. And to get in, you need to know the minimal entrance requirements, the things you should do, the things you should not do in order to get in. The problem is that Jesus never, ever says, not anywhere, here are the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. It's just not there. What he does, in fact, say, as we've just seen over and over and over, is that the kingdom of God has arrived. That he does say. Now, this is still kind of fuzzy for a lot of us because we don't use the word kingdom a lot in our day. So let's talk for just a minute about this, this idea of kingdom. You understand, of course, everybody has a kingdom. You have a kingdom. The person sitting next to you has a kingdom. If you don't know that person and you're a little uncomfortable sitting next to them, your kingdoms are in conflict. That's how that works. Your kingdom is that little sphere in which it, you know, what you say goes. That's your kingdom. Your kingdom is the range of your effective will. It's where your will will be done. Everybody learns growing up <clears throat> that they have a kingdom. It's a good thing to learn, to understand that you have a kingdom. But our kingdoms, because of sin, get all junked up. And that's why our kingdoms are so often in conflict. Um, what is the uh, first word that a two-year-old usually learns to say? No is one of the big ones. What's the second one? Mine. Boy, you all knew it. I mean, it's just, uh, that is absolutely true. Uh, sometimes it'll be in reverse order. But they're learning, you see, to have a kingdom. Little kids uh, will sometimes riding in the car on a long, on a, uh, a long car trip will you know, divide the car. Okay, this is my side. This is my kingdom. And the one over here. This is my kingdom. And then they, then they say, you better not cross the line into my kingdom. And then when that happens, because it always inevitably does, the war of the kingdoms begins. And, and then dad turns around because whose kingdom does dad think this is? Who's the car? That's, that's his kingdom, right? And uh, so he asked the kids, do you want me to have to come back there? And they're thinking, dad, we're going down the highway, 65, 70 miles an hour, and you're not going to come back here. And so dad sends Mr. Hand, you know, back there to try to direct things and so on. And the kids retreat back into the safety of the corner of their kingdom. And a friend of mine gives some advice on how to get them out of that unreachable safety zone. You just tap on the brakes and then, <laughs> then you can get them, you see. Thy kingdom come, kind of, you know. <laughs> now, here's the thing. On earth, all these little kingdoms intersect, merge together, and make larger kingdoms. Kingdoms like families, for example. One family versus another family. Or kingdoms like neighborhoods. Or kingdoms like cities. Or companies, if you will. Kingdoms are systems of personal power. That's what a kingdom is. And if you put all of them together, that would make up what the Bible refers to as 
the kingdom of this earth. And uh, just for clarity's sake, uh, you, you have the kingdom of this earth and you have the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom, of course, is where God rules. It's where God's effective will is being done. It's where things are the way God wants them to be. And the writers of the New Testament try to describe in, in numerous places the nature of the kingdom of God. For example, Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, and, and he describes the kingdom of God this way. He says it's not a matter of legalistic rules about what you eat or don't eat, about what festival you attend or don't attend, or about what you drink. He says, no, it's, it's, it's not that. The kingdom of God is made up of wholeness, people being made well, uh, people being transformed, being made more like Jesus. The kingdom of God, he says, is about peace. Shalom is the biblical concept where things are right exactly the way they should be. The kingdom of God, he says, is about joy. These are the kinds of things that describe the kingdom of God. But what about the kingdom of the earth? Uh, How are things going in the kingdom of the earth? I mean, just this past week, you know, we respond again as we turn on our television sets or look at the news to bombs going off in Belgium. It wasn't very long that bombs were going off in Paris. I mean, terrorism. It seems like these instances are growing. More violence. Uh, Too many places on this planet in the kingdoms of the earth where children are starving. There's too many places where poverty reigns. There's too many places where there are just broken hearts and broken lives and broken families. There's too many places where there's too much greed and too much war. And I can just go on and on and on with the list of things that are happening in the kingdom of the earth. But understand something. Jesus had this plan. He said, I am going to bring up there my kingdom down here on earth. But a lot of people think the gospel, again, is, you know, how can I get out of here and go up there? They think that's the gospel. You know, it's like they think the Lord's Prayer is the Star Trek mantra. You know, beam me up, God. Beam me up, Scotty. You know, one of these kinds of things. And a lot of people think that Jesus' message was primarily about how to get beamed up there from down here. But actually, Jesus taught his disciples to pray precisely the opposite prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a kingdom prayer. Jesus was saying, you know, here's my plan. My kingdom is invading this messed up kingdom of darkness. My kingdom will overcome darkness and evil and hatred and resentment with light and good and love, and forgiveness, and grace, and mercy. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus said, because he had come near. In other words, up there is coming down here. That's the gospel in a tweet right there. In the beginning was the tweet, and the tweet was with God, and the tweet was God, and the tweet twittered a while among us. That's the gospel. Up there, coming down here. And it all started, you understand, with Jesus. It all started with Jesus. His body, his life, his ministry, his teaching was the first place people could 
actually see God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It was in Jesus. In Jesus, up there, came down here. In Jesus, God's presence and power became available to people like you and to people like me. Jesus talked a lot about what life in his kingdom looked like. And frankly, uh, this is what put him on a collision course with other kingdoms uh, that are here on earth, (coughs) religious kingdoms. He had all kinds of conflict with religious people. If you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that to be true. Many of the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the people he was constantly in conflict with. They did not like the gospel that he preached, the good news that he preached. They had certain power and certain kingdom systems set in place, and it looked like Jesus' kingdom coming was going to upset all of that, and so they set out to kill him. Certain political kingdoms. You know, it was Caesar, if you know anything about the history, who claimed to be the son of God. It was Caesar who claimed to bring peace on earth. And that kingdom was in conflict, of course, with the kingdom of Jesus who claimed to be the one and only son of God. The one and only king, true king. The uh, military system of Rome, the economic system of the Roman Empire, all of these kingdoms brought pressure on and coalesced together to attack the kingdom of Jesus. In fact, eventually these kingdoms came together and killed him, just as Jesus knew they would. But on the third day, God said, rise up. And he did. He came out of the grave. And he said to his followers in that next 40 days, many different things. But one of the things I'm sure he explained to them was that his plan was working perfectly. Because now, thanks to the cross, people would see that his heavenly father had a commitment to judge and destroy sin. The biggest problems that plague us had been dealt with by Jesus' death on the cross. And thanks to the empty tomb, people could see now that the heavenly father's power put an end to death. Because you see, when Jesus came back from the dead, the clock started ticking, so to speak. Death was put on the clock. It was now just a matter of time before there would be no more death. And we look forward to that day because Jesus has overcome death. You see, the resurrection is about way more than just some vague religious hope for the future. It's about way more than just life after death. The resurrection is the ultimate vindication of the good news of Jesus. It's the ultimate indication of Jesus' power. His resurrection is the only reason why 2,000 years after Rome crucified Jesus, Christians number in the billions, but Little Caesar is the name now of a pizza company. (laughs) Huge contrast. You see, in Jesus, up there came down here, and it's still coming. Every time somebody repents, Every time somebody gets forgiven, every time it clicks for somebody that Jesus really is God, that's the kingdom coming. Uh, For me, that happened so many years ago. I was actually in high school, and a friend of mine had become a follower of Jesus, and his lifestyle prior to that was 
uh, pretty wild, and um, uh, he uh, had made a, a quite a bit of money as a high school student just buying and selling drugs, and, and um, I saw, his name is Steve, and I saw Steve change one day. I, I saw him walking down the hall of the school, and, and I had known Steve quite well, and uh, suddenly he looked different. <laughs> Uh, suddenly he, he seemed to have a meaning and a purpose. And I asked him, what is going on with you, Steve? And, and he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. And I, I was pretty sure he was just doing a different drug is what I was pretty sure of. But Steve, actually, we had some conversations and, and I could tell something radically happened in Steve. And he gave me a little pocket testimony. He said, hey, read the Gospel of John. I had never read really anything uh, in the Bible uh, to speak of before. My family wasn't religious. We didn't go to church and stuff like that. So I took that little pocket testament and I set it on my um, on a table in my in my bedroom at the time and uh, at, at least immediately didn't think much about it. But it was, I don't know, some weeks later I, I decided to, he said, the Gospel of John, okay? And I opened it up and sure enough there was a Gospel of John in there and, and I started reading it. And I will never, ever forget. It was It was like, walking into a huge, huge, dark, cavernous room, and then one little light bulb at a time, you know, you turn on a light, and oh, there's, wow, that made sense. Oh, I can see this area of the room, and I would walk a little further in. I would read a little further on and click. Oh, my goodness, uh, that seems to be true about me, what it says in here, that my life is broken. I do lack meaning. I, I don't know why I'm here. What, oh, and I would walk a little further in, and another light, and another light, until eventually it seemed like the whole room was lit up. That's what reading the Gospel of John was like for me. And I came to a point where by myself, in my bedroom, I just said, this is true. This Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. This Jesus has come from up there to down here to bring the kingdom. And uh, I became a follower of Jesus. You know, so many people listening to me right now have similar kinds of things that happened in your life at some point for whatever reasons, whatever the circumstances were like, you decided to follow Jesus. And you know, it's true too that, it's true also that anytime an addict steps out of the hidden shadows and gets, gets help and gets real, that's the coming of Jesus' kingdom. Every time a racial reconciliation happens, every time somebody who has been attached to money suddenly becomes generous with that to bless others, that's the kingdom of Jesus coming. Every time a parent who has been neglecting their children has a change of heart, every time a marriage gets healed, what's happening is up there is coming down here. That's the kingdom of Jesus. That's the shalom of Jesus' kingdom. And here's the deal. Uh, that can happen for you. That can happen for anyone anywhere hearing the good news, the message about Jesus Christ when they decide to embrace it. The forgiveness of God, the Bible says, will wipe clean the slate of your sin. The love of God will fill the empty place in your heart. And I remember what that was like. The overwhelming thing that happened to me in my bedroom sitting there reading the Gospel of John was an, just a, a, almost a palpable presence of God, a realization that he was real, that he could live in me, that he would forgive my sins. And that's the love of God. It fills that certain empty place in a person's heart. And we're told in the Bible that the Spirit of God will take up residence in your life 
right here, right now, when a person becomes a Christ follower. For me in high school, my life was 100% about myself. Um, My happiness, my pleasure, my joy. And one of the earliest memories I have as a Christian was I realized I could now no longer take advantage of people, friends, uh, do things to them that I was doing, be as selfish as I was being. Uh, I, I realized I needed to ask forgiveness for things that I had done. And I'm thinking, where is this coming from? It didn't come from a good streak in me. It was coming from the Holy Spirit being at work in my life. It was coming because now I had stepped into the kingdom of God and I was seeing myself and I was seeing others differently than I had ever seen them before. Anytime you become a follower of Jesus, this transformation begins and it continues for the rest of your life. Um, You know, after the very first Easter, it's so interesting, Jesus' uh, disciple Peter, uh, Peter's the one who had denied Jesus how many times? Three times. And Jesus uh, met him after his resurrection and brought him back into relationship with such grace and such tenderness. And, and now Peter is suddenly being bold. He had denied Jesus because he was afraid for his life. But now the Spirit of God is at work in Peter. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is out preaching the good news about the kingdom of God coming, right? And he's talking about the cross, the fact that Jesus had died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he's telling people that Jesus had come back from the dead. What a dumb thing to tell anybody unless it's true. But Jesus would say, uh, Peter would say, Jesus, it's true. He's come back from the dead. We know it. We've talked to him. We've eaten with him. He has been risen. And uh, as Peter was sharing this transformation, once he had denied him, now he's boldly proclaiming the truth. What had happened in Peter's life? Well, Jesus had happened. Resurrection had happened. And he's proclaiming this message. And in Acts chapter 2, we're told that as he proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God, it says that the people... They, they were cut to the heart. That's what it says. They were, they were cut to the heart by the truth of what they heard. I can relate to that. I think that's what happened to me in my bedroom. I was cut to the heart with the truth of what I was reading. And they were so moved, they asked Peter, what shall we do? Because many of these people had participated in the, in the, in the call to crucify Jesus not many days earlier. And Peter says this. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself will come and live inside you. Now understand, repent is an interesting word. Repent is a humility word. When a person repents, what they're doing is they're surrendering their ego, their will, their selfish desires. And they are confessing their brokenness and their sin. And they're asking God for help. And they're asking God for grace to follow Jesus. And they're asking God to change their life because they realize they can't change it themselves. That's what repent means. And then the outward expression of this this repentance, this, this commitment to Jesus in faith is this thing of baptism. Baptism for these people uh, here in Acts chapter 2 was an outward expression of an inward spiritual reality. Something the Spirit of God was doing on that day in their hearts. And it involved water because, you know, water is a symbol that we use when we clean things and we wash things and we make them pure. And Peter said to the crowd, you ought to repent and be baptized today. And amazingly, people did. (laughs) 
They did. In fact, we read these words, that those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And here's the deal. Uh, We're going to give you the chance to do this Easter what they did back then. To make a commitment to Jesus Christ. The risen King and Savior. The Son of God. And then if you make that commitment this morning, you can, you can get baptized. Some of you are thinking, uh, you mean I could sign up to be baptized sometime later? No, nope, it's not what I mean. I mean get baptized today. Well, some of you are thinking, this is a Presbyterian church. I'm pretty sure I have to join a committee first, don't I? Um, actually, nope. You know, we check the book. You don't have to. Um, <coughs> Some people make baptism, you know, into a, a, a denominational or a church membership thing, and, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, usually that's what we do, but on Easter Sunday, things are a little different. People are here from other parts of the uh, country, uh, family and friends visiting, um, other parts of the city even. Um, we want to stress the fact that this morning that when, when Peter said, repent and be baptized, that's, a, that's just a command coming right out of the Bible. Uh, Don't get me wrong, we do think that church membership is vitally important for somebody who follows Jesus. I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need others to sort of take your hand and help you follow, and and they will help you follow, you know, you help them, and vice versa. Um, Membership in a local church and having involvement in a family of faith is vitally important to the growth of a Christian. Um, But that's not what this is about this morning, really. You might be thinking, well, I don't know about getting baptized uh, if I was to do that. I'm not sure I even want to be a member of this church. And you know what? We're not sure we want you as a member either. So (laughs) this, again, is not about church membership, what we're talking about. This is just a separate deal. It's a very important deal. I mean, if the Spirit of God is working in your life, if you're sensing right now that He is calling you to put your faith in Him and to indicate that by being baptized... um, it's a very, very, very life-changing, important deal. But you won't, if you do that here this morning, becoming a, a member at Deer Creek. We're, we're baptizing people this morning into Jesus. That's what we're doing. Now, some folks might be wondering, ah, baptism, wow, how much water does that involve? Well, for us this morning, that would be just sprinkling baptism. You know, b- baptism is not about how much water. Uh, it's about how great our God is and what he has done for his followers, and uh, it's about how open your heart is. It's about following him. That's what it's about. Um, It's about putting a stake in the ground and publicly declaring your commitment to follow Jesus, if that's what he's leading you to do. And also, just so you know, you know, as a church family, you know, we celebrate... uh, If anybody across the street at our Catholic church, our, our friends across the street are are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus, we celebrate that. We're, we're excited with them about that. Um, this body of people, uh, if you should be moved to uh, put your faith in Jesus this morning, you will experience more love and support and joy from the folks in this room than you can possibly imagine. Is that right, church? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, we celebrate that wherever that's happening this morning. Because it is happening this morning. So this Easter is just a great day to say, I want up there to come down here 
in my heart. I want the presence and the reality and the power and the favor of God to be real in my life. And you can do that just by putting your faith in Jesus this morning. And you can follow that commitment of faith by having the sacrament of baptism applied to you. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, right now, to uh, just bow your heads. Close your eyes. I feel like I'm at a Billy Graham crusade or something. But, uh, you know, if you know God and if you have been a follower of Jesus, uh, you, you might just want to take this time to pray for others and also to give God thanks for the fact that he rescued you. Uh, thank him for giving your life meaning. Because when you step into his kingdom, your life takes on meaning. You might want to thank him that his kingdom is real and, and that you are a citizen of that, of that kingdom. And, and the resurrection is what proves the reality of that kingdom. To others, I would just say, if you've never made that decision, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, if you've never taken that step publicly or declared it publicly by being baptized, Today might be your day if you sense that the Father, the Heavenly Father, is talking to you. So if you haven't been baptized before, this might be your day. And you might want to pray this prayer. I'll put the prayer on the screen, which means you have to open your eyes, but the prayer is this. God, I want you to make up there, come down here in my heart. I want you to forgive me of my sin and wrongdoing because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I want to have a new start. I want to have a new heart. I want Jesus to be my companion, my Savior, my Lord, and my Master. I want Him to be with me every day of my life. I want Him to be my hope when I face death someday and my joy forever in the world to come. God, I now surrender to You. I commit my life and my will to You. And I do this in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, if you understand that prayer, as I said, this is a real good chance that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life right now. And I would just say to you, don't let anything stop you. I mean, even if you're in the middle of a row here, do not ask permission. Just knock people over and crawl over people. Come to Jesus and get baptized. And... Uh, we will be honored and delighted to be able to celebrate that with you. Uh, when you come forward, we have a little card we'd give you to fill out just to get your name and so. And we want to help you find a good church, a place where you can be a part of a local body. And uh, we also have a great book for you written by Tim Keller. It's a look at the prodigal son, if you've ever heard of that story. And it's just a retelling, a beautiful, wonderful um, a retelling of the story of the grace of God. Now, I'm going to pray, and uh, the band and the choir are going to lead us in song, and uh, as soon as they uh, begin, we're going to ask everybody to stand, and that's your cue if you want to come forward, if, if God is telling you to do that, and uh, you can be baptized. Now, if nobody uh, comes forward <coughs> excuse me, for baptism, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lock the doors. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we are going to sing and we are going to celebrate the power and the goodness of our God because our God 
has conquered sin and death. For you and for me. Amen is right. So, Christ is risen. Amen. Let's sing. Let's all stand.